The Confessions of Arsène Lupin by Maurice Leblanc Narrated by Paul Spera Shadowed by Death After he had been round the walls of the property, Arsène Lupin returned to the spot from which he started. It was perfectly clear to him that there was no breach in the walls, and the only way of entering the extensive grounds of the Château de Maupertuis was through a little low door, firmly bolted on the inside, or through the principal gate, which was overlooked by the lodge. Very well, he said, we must employ heroic methods. Pushing his way into the copsewood where he had hidden his motorcycle, he unwound a length of twine from under the saddle and went to a place which he had noticed in the course of his exploration. At this place, which was situated far from the road, on the edge of a wood, a number of large trees standing inside the park overlapped the wall. Lupin fastened a stone to the end of the string, threw it up and caught a thick branch, which he drew down to him and bestraddled. The branch, in recovering its position, raised him from the ground. He climbed over the wall, slipped down the tree, and sprang lightly on the grass. It was winter, and through the leafless boughs across the undulating lawns he could see the little Chateau de Maupertuis in the distance. Fearing lest he should be perceived, he concealed himself behind a clump of fir trees. From there, with the aid of a field glass, he studied the dark and melancholy front of the manor house. All the windows were closed and, as it were, barricaded with solid shutters. The house might easily have been uninhabited. By Jove, muttered Lupin, it's not the liveliest of residences. I shall certainly not come here to end my days. But the clock struck three. One of the doors on the ground floor opened, and the figure of a woman appeared, a very slender figure wrapped in a brown cloak. The woman walked up and down for a few minutes and was at once surrounded by birds to which she scattered crumbs of bread. Then she went down the stone steps that led to the middle lawn and skirted it, taking the path on the right. With his field glass, Lupin could distinctly see her coming in his direction. She was tall, fair-haired, graceful in appearance, and seemed to be quite a young girl. She walked with a sprightly step, looking at the pale December sun, and amusing herself by breaking the little dead twigs on the shrubs along the road. She had gone nearly two-thirds of the distance that separated her from Lupin when there came a furious sound of barking, and a huge dog, a colossal Danish boarhound, sprang from a neighboring kennel and stood erect at the end of the chain by which it was fastened. The girl moved a little to one side without paying further attention to what was doubtless a daily incident. The dog grew angrier than ever, standing on its legs and dragging at its collar, at the risk of strangling itself. Thirty or forty steps further, yielding probably to an impulse of impatience, the girl turned round and made a gesture with her hand. The great Dane gave a start of rage, retreated to the back of its kennel, and rushed out again, this time unfettered. The girl uttered a cry of mad terror 
The dog was covering the space between them, trailing its broken chain behind it. She began to run, to run with all her might, and screamed out desperately for help. But the dog caught up with her in a few bounds. She fell, at once exhausted, giving herself up for lost. The animal was already upon her, almost touching her. At that exact moment, a shot rang out. The dog turned a complete somersault, recovered its feet, tore the ground, and then lay down, giving a number of hoarse, breathless howls, which ended in a dull moan and an indistinct gurgling. And that was all. Dead, said Lupin, who had hastened up at once, prepared, if necessary, to fire his revolver a second time. The girl had risen and stood pale, still staggering. She looked in great surprise at this man whom she did not know and who had saved her life, and she whispered, Thank you. I have had a great fright. You are in the nick of time. I thank you, monsieur. Lupin took off his hat. Allow me to introduce myself, mademoiselle. My name is Paul Dobreuil, but before entering into any explanations, I must ask for one moment... He stooped over the dog's dead body and examined the chain at the part where the brute's efforts had snapped it. That's it, he said between his teeth. It's just as I suspected. By Jupiter, things are moving rapidly. I ought to have come earlier. Returning to the girl's side, he said to her, speaking very quickly, Mademoiselle, we have not a minute to lose. My presence in these grounds is quite irregular. I do not wish to be surprised here, and this for reasons that concern yourself alone. Do you think that the report can have been heard at the house? The girl seemed already to have recovered from her emotion, and she replied with a calmness that revealed all her pluck, I don't think so. Is your father in the house today? My father is ill and has been in bed for months. Besides, his room looks out on the other front. And the servants? Their quarters and the kitchen are also on the other side. No one ever comes to this part. I walk here myself, but nobody else does. It is probable, therefore, that I have not been seen, either, especially as the trees hide us. It is most probable. Then, can I speak to you freely? Certainly, but I don't understand. You will presently. Permit me to be brief. The point is this. Four days ago, Mademoiselle Jeanne d'Arcieux... That is my name, she said, smiling. Mademoiselle Jeanne d'Arcieux, continued Lupin, wrote a letter to one of her friends called Marceline, who lives at Versailles. How do you know all that? asked the girl in astonishment. I tore up the letter before I had finished it. And you flung the pieces on the edge of the road that runs from the house to Vendôme. That's true. I'd gone out walking. The pieces were picked up and they came into my hands next day. Then you must have read them, said Jeanne d'Arcieux, betraying a certain annoyance by her manner. Yes, I committed that indiscretion, and I do not regret it, because I can save you. Save me? From what? From death. Lupin spoke this little sentence in a very distinct voice. The girl gave a shudder. Then she said, I am not threatened with death. Yes, you are, mademoiselle. At the end of October, you were reading on a bench on the terrace, where you were accustomed to sit at the same hour every day, when a block of stone fell from the cornice above your head and you were within a few inches of being crushed. An accident. One fine evening in November, you were walking in the kitchen garden by moonlight, a shot was fired, the bullet whizzed past your ear. 
At least, I thought so. Lastly, less than a week ago, the little wooden bridge that crosses the river in the park, two yards from the waterfall, gave way while you were on it. You were just able, by a miracle, to catch hold of the root of a tree. Jeanne d'Arcieux tried to smile. Very well. But as I wrote to Marceline, these are only a series of coincidences, of accidents. No, mademoiselle, no. One accident of this sort is allowable. So are two, and even then. But we have no right to suppose that the chapter of incidents, repeating the same act three times in such different and extraordinary circumstances, is a mere amusing coincidence. That is why I thought that I might presume to come to your assistance. And as my intervention can be of no use unless it remains secret, I did not hesitate to make my way in here without walking through the gate. I came in the nick of time, as you said. Your enemy was attacking you once more. What? Do you think? No, it is impossible. I refuse to believe. Lupin picked up the chain and, showing it to her, Look at the last link. There is no question but that it has been filed. Otherwise, so powerful a chain as this would never have yielded. Besides, you can see the mark of the file here. Jeanne turned pale, and her pretty features were distorted with terror. But who can bear me such a grudge? she gasped. It is terrible. I have never done anyone harm, and yet you are certainly right. Worse still, she finished her sentence in a lower voice. Worse still, I am wondering whether the same danger does not threaten my father. Has he been attacked also? No, for he never stirs from his room, but his is such a mysterious illness. He has no strength. He cannot walk at all. In addition to that, he is subject to fits of suffocation, as though his heart stopped beating. Oh, what an awful thing. Lupin realized all the authority which he was able to assert at such a moment, and he said, Have no fear, mademoiselle. If you obey me blindly, I shall be sure to succeed. Yes, yes, I I'm quite willing, but all this is so terrible. Trust me. I beg of you, and please listen to me. I shall want a few particulars. He rapped out a number of questions, which Jeanne d'Arcieux answered hurriedly. The animal was never let loose, was he? Never. Who used to feed him? The lodgekeeper. He brought him his food every evening. Consequently, he could go near him without being bitten. Yes, and he only, for the dog was very savage. You don't suspect the man. Oh, no. Baptiste? Never. And you can't think of anybody? No, our servants are quite devoted to us. They're very fond of me. You have no friends staying in the house? No. No brother? No. Then your father is your only protector? Yes, and I have told you the condition he is in. Have you told him of the different attempts? Yes, and it was wrong of me to do so. Our doctor, old Dr. Guerroux, forbade me to cause him the least excitement. Your mother? I don't remember her. She died sixteen years ago. Just sixteen years ago. How old were you then? I was not quite five years old. And you were living here? We were living in Paris. My father only bought this place the year after. Lupin was silent for a few moments. Then he concluded, Very well, mademoiselle, I am obliged to you. 
those particulars are all I need for the present. Besides, it would not be wise for us to remain together longer. But, she said, the lodgekeeper will find the dog soon. Who will have killed him? You, mademoiselle, to defend yourself against an attack. I never carry firearms. I am afraid you do, said Lupin, smiling, because you killed the dog and there is no one but you who could have killed him. For that matter, let them think what they please. The great thing is that I shall not be suspected when I come to the house. To the house? Do you intend to? Yes. I don't yet know how, but I shall come this very evening. So once more, be easy in your mind. I will answer for everything. Jeanne looked at him, and, dominated by him, conquered by his air of assurance and good faith, she said simply, I'm quite easy. Then all will go well. Till this evening, mademoiselle. Till this evening. She walked away, and Lupin, following her with his eyes until the moment when she disappeared round the corner of the house, murmured, What a pretty creature. It would be a pity if any harm were to come to her. Luckily, Arsène Lupin is keeping his weather eye open. Taking care not to be seen, with eyes and ears attentive to the least sight or sound, he inspected every nook and corner of the grounds, looked for the little low door which he had noticed outside and which was the door of the kitchen garden, drew the bolt, took the key, and then skirted the walls and found himself once more near the tree which he had climbed. Two minutes later, he was mounting his motorcycle. The village of Maupertuis lay quite close to the estate. Lupin inquired and learned that Dr. Guéroux lived next door to the church. He rang, was shown into the consulting room, and introduced himself by his name of Paul de Breuil, of the Rue de Surenne, Paris, adding that he had official relations with the detective service, a fact which he requested might be kept secret. He had become acquainted, by means of a torn letter, with the incidents that had endangered Mademoiselle Darcieux's life, and he had come to that young lady's assistance. Dr. Guéroux, an old country practitioner who idolized Jeanne, on hearing Lupin's explanations, at once admitted that those incidents constituted undeniable proofs of a plot. He showed great concern, offered his visitor hospitality, and kept him to dinner. The two men talked at length. In the evening, they walked round to the manor house together. The doctor went to the sick man's room, which was on the first floor, and asked leave to bring up a young colleague to whom he intended soon to make over his practice when he retired. Lupin, on entering, saw Jeanne Darcieux seated by her father's bedside. She suppressed a movement of surprise and, at a sign from the doctor, left the room. 